Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Taking a look today at some news moving the markets with a focus on oil prices as well as interest rate decisions from major banks. Also, U.S. President Joe Biden will be hosting a summit of African leaders in Washington later this week. What's on the agenda and why does it matter? Jonathan Fruin is here to help us out. He is senior journalist with BBC World Service Partner Hub in London. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, it's a pleasure to be with you. All right, let's start with oil prices. We know that Western Airlines recently imposed a $60 per barrel price cap on Russian oil, and this is a serious issue of contention. What might happen in the oil market this week? Well, yes, that's right. The West has tried to make life difficult for Russia as a result of its invasion of Ukraine by imposing this price cap on the value of its oil exports. It combines with an EU ban on Russian oil that came into force last week, and during the course of last week, oil prices touched their lowest level since January, so before the Ukraine conflict began. Oil prices are down actually around 20% on the level they'd been a little over a month ago. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to around 20 oil tankers currently unable to pass through Turkish waters because of concerns about their insurance coverage. In order to get insurance under the terms of the new rules, oil tankers need to prove that any Russian crude oil that they carry is being sold below that $60 per barrel price cap. So Turkey is insisting on that measure before allowing the vessels to pass. And it's led to something of a logjam, which could have its own impact on oil prices in the coming days. For Russia, part, President Putin has said that his country simply won't sell to countries that are imposing what he calls the West's stupid price cap on Russian oil, and he's mm. threatened to cut production in response. On the face of it, analysts say the decline in the oil price seems somewhat counterintuitive, as China announced it was easing COVID restrictions last week, which should help the Chinese and global economy somewhat, which in itself would boost demand for oil, and the Russian cap is likely to take Russian oil off the market, leading to a bit of a shortage in supply. So it's thought that the ongoing decline in oil prices might actually be an indicator that the global economy is slowing a little more rapidly than otherwise been thought. Global oil and energy consumption have been falling since the third quarter of the year under the impact of higher prices and a slowing economy, but the impact of that appears to have been masked initially by concerns about the planned introduction of this price gap on Russian crude. Analysts reckon that the combined effect of the cap being set at a higher level than had initially been feared and a relatively lax approach to enforcing it may also have contributed to recent price decline. So it's going to be interesting to see in the coming days whether the price of oil continues its downward trajectory or prices begin to get some measure of support to stay where they are right now or even rise again. And it all poses a bit of a conundrum for the oil producers cartel OPEC when it next meets to discuss whether to cut output in order to try and support a higher price for oil. It's worth noting here also that the European Union is seeking to impose a similar price cap on Russian natural gas prices, which is a commodity widely used in Europe to heat people's homes and in all sorts of industrial settings. EU energy ministers are meeting on Tuesday to try and agree a framework and set a price. There are concerns among some member states that a cap could divert essential supplies away from the EU and to other parts of the world. So it's by no means certain that it will be introduced, but it could help curtail some of the rampant inflation we've seen recently in Europe if a natural gas price cap could be introduced and proven to work. Here's the thing. U.S. officials have said the deal was unprecedented and demonstrated the resolve of the coalition opposing Russia's war. But really, what impact will this have on Russia's next steps in the conflict? Well, we'll have to wait and see, I think. As I said, uh, President Putin has said he'll just stop selling to uh, European countries. But as we've seen, the the price of oil has declined, so it may be having an, an effect. It's difficult to say exactly what impact is causing which effect, but um, we'll have to just wait and see. 
Now, here's something else making the headlines. The ECB, the European Central Bank, Bank of England and the U.S. Federal Reserve all announced their latest interest rate decisions this week. What exactly are markets bracing for? Well, as we know, that high inflation I mentioned over the past year or so has led to the world's big central banks hiking their interest rates at a rapid clip in order to try and curb demand for goods and bring prices back under control. The challenge they face is that a lot of the price rise has been due to supply snarl-ups, like the COVID restrictions that have been in place in China curtailing output. So they're walking quite a delicate tightrope between trying to slow economic activity and inadvertently triggering recessions with all the unemployment and other pain that would likely ensue. Now, there are definitely signs that economies around the world are slowing, some more than others. It looks like the UK and European Union are entering recessions and a lot of the blame for that, say analysts, is a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the steep rise in the price of natural gas as a result. When prices rise so dramatically, there's just less money around for people to buy everything else and that can cause an economy to contract. But there are also signs that growth is slowing in the US. One indicator that's worth keeping an eye on, I think, is the price to send a shipping container from China to the US West Coast. Compared to a year ago, the price for that has fallen by around 90%. And that's a sign of price pressures easing significantly. So it's going to be interesting to see how the central banks respond to all these different signals. Up first on Wednesday is the US Federal Reserve. Analysts reckon that it will put its foot on the brakes a tad, with interest rates still rising, but by half a percentage point rather than the three quarters of a percentage point hikes that have been happening over recent meetings. And then it's what some observers call Super Thursday in Europe, with the European Central Bank, as well as its Swiss and Norwegian counterparts and the Bank of England all announcing their latest interest rate decisions. Markets are pricing in a half percentage point hike from the ECB, following two back-to-back three-quarter of a percentage point rises. And despite the looming recession in the UK that I mentioned, it does look likely that the Bank of England will increase borrowing costs by half a percentage point to 3.5%. Policymakers here are more focused on bringing inflation down from its current double-digit levels to something more manageable than easing the pressure on homeowners and other borrowers who are beginning to struggle a bit with high interest rates. What can you tell us about the situation in the UK where the cost of living crisis has been making headlines for quite some time now? Well, absolutely. It's a struggle for a lot of people. Uh, you, You hear quite frequently people describing the choice for a lot of consumers as being between heating their homes and eating. It's, it's, it's really having quite a significant impact on people's budgets. You know, we've got, I think, 11% inflation at the moment. And that just means if your salary is not going up by anything like that amount, which in most cases it isn't, you're just stretched. And uh, in terms of natural gas, it's more significant inflation than that. And we've got a cold snap at the moment. And it's, uh, it's quite a thing to watch your smart meter ticking up as the mm. house stays warm with the cold weather outside. What is the plan, the short to medium term plan to make all of this a little more manageable? Well, I mean, the government would say that they're doing a lot at the moment in terms of offering support. If uh, if they weren't picking up a significant proportion of people's energy bills, the price of energy would be quite a lot higher than it already is. Uh, we're facing quite a significant set of strikes in the coming weeks. So workers are clearly, or workers' unions are clearly saying that they've had enough of the challenges of not earning as much money as they feel that they should to manage and cope with these increased uh, prices. So it's going to be quite a challenging few weeks in the run-up to Christmas in particular with train strikes, postal strikes, nurses strikes, um, and uh, other strikes in the National Health Service. I'm sure you'll keep us updated on developments on that front as well, Jonathan. But elsewhere, U.S. President Joe Biden will be hosting a summit of African leaders in Washington later this week. The U.S., we know, is in competition with China for the continent's attention. What can we expect from this summit? 
Well, yes, that's right. This is the second US-Africa Leaders Summit after one held by President Obama back in 2014. A lot's changed on the world stage since then, of course. When announcing the summit, President Biden said it would, quote, build on our shared values to better foster new economic engagement, reinforce the US-Africa commitment to democracy and human rights, promote food security and respond to the climate crisis, among other things. Delegations from 49 countries plus the African Union have confirmed that they will take part. Several countries did not get an invitation, though. Burkina Faso, Guinea, Mali and Sudan were left out because the African African Union has concerns over unconstitutional changes of government, and the U.S. doesn't have diplomatic relations with Eritrea. Not all the countries taking part are sending their presidents either. For example, South Sudan's foreign minister will deputise for the country's president, and uh, of course, uh, South Africa's Cyril Ramaphosa has a leadership challenge to contend with as he faces down allegations of corruption. So here's the thing. China, the U.S.'s biggest global rival, has invested heavily in Africa. So what exactly can the U.S. do at this point to counterbalance that influence? Well, they're going to certainly say that they support Africa and we should keep an eye out for possible news of U.S. investments in Africa, aid to countries there and lending to Africa. China surpassed the U.S. as Africa's biggest trading partner back in 2009. Last year, bilateral trade between Africa and China reached $250 billion, and that's up around a third on the year before. But of course, as you say, over recent years, China's pumped huge sums of money into the continent for infrastructure projects under what's known as its Belt and Road Initiative. And there are concerns from some analysts that it's putting a lot of African countries under tremendous debt pressure, which might lead to the Chinese seizing control of key assets as and when repayment of that debt becomes unaffordable. And we've seen that happen with key port infrastructure in Sri Lanka, for example. And keep in mind that China's also been buying up all sorts of precious minerals that are needed to make things like electric car batteries. More than two-thirds of the world's cobalt can be found in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And of the 19 cobalt mines in the DRC, 15 are owned or co-owned by Chinese firms. I think we'll also see discussions on how the U.S. can work with African governments on some of the continent's security challenges. U.S. officials have said that Somalia's militant Islamist al-Shabaab group remains the top threat. The concern, of course, is that some of the militant groups operating in Africa could use it as a base to try and launch an attack against the United States. And then there are also issues around human rights in Africa. Human Rights Watch has pointed out that some of the leaders invited to the White House have been accused of crimes against humanity and says that hosting these leaders at the White House will, quote, further legitimize these regimes, sending a clear message that the U.S. government values security considerations over human rights. Now, for its part, the White House has said that the president will not shy away from raising these issues with any foreign leader any, anywhere in the world. And then one other development that we're expecting is uh, for Joe Biden to say that he's supportive of the African Union to become a member of the G20 group of the world's largest economies. Why is that significant at this point? Well, it's, uh, it's significant because the AU, I suppose, wants to have a bigger role on the world stage. And the European Union, for instance, has been a member of the G7. You know, the G7 is held with the seven biggest industrialized economies and then adds in the European Union. And, and I suppose it, um, it boosts the African Union's standing on the world stage if they get that accolade. In terms of its economic influence on Africa, the U.S.'s economic influence on Africa, uh, to what extent can the Biden administration really make inroads here, considering that China already has a foothold, as you described earlier? Well, I think it's a good question, you know, um, with trade being so much more substantial with China, it's, uh, it's, it's open to question exactly what the U.S. can do. But no doubt uh, President Biden will try and find ways to support African trade, African engagement uh, in order to 
provide a counterbalance to China. Thanks very much for your time today, Jonathan. Really appreciate it. Jonathan Fruin, he's senior journalist with BBC World Service Partner Hub in London. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.